She must have made 30, 40 films. Well, I'll tell you what happened. In those days, we were very, very, very busy in radio. When television came around, all of the writers and producers and directors from radio were the early pioneers of television. Like Jess Oppenheimer was the producer of Lucy. So we knew them all. We'd say, hey, how about it? He'd say, yeah, I got something coming up, available next week. So I was very, very busy in the early days of television. No, we just drifted with the people that we knew and they felt comfortable with us. I'll tell you, one of the saddest days of my life was when they changed from a six-day week to a five-day week. The early television shows, most of them would shoot for three days. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Now, all of a sudden, there's a five-day week. Now, you can't do two shows a week. You can do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Now, the Thursday and Friday one's going to carry over to Monday. Now, you can't do Monday, Tuesday. Oh, boy, that was terrible. By 1954, 98% of homes had a radio set. There were still 19 million U.S. homes that could only be reached by radio. Procter & Gamble led the way with over $14 million spent, and 40 companies, including General Foods, Colgate-Palmolive, Liggett & Myers, Campbell Soups, S.C. Johnson, and Coca-Cola, spent at least $1 million on radio advertising. However, the four national networks continued a five-year downward trend in radio ad sales. Network radio gross revenue peaked in 1948 at just under $200 million. In 1953, it was down to $160 million. While TV hadn't fully supplanted radio's total reach, it had decimated its primetime audience share. On CBS TV, I Love Lucy led all shows with a rating of 58.8. It was seen in over 15 million homes. Radio's top show, the Lux Radio Theater, was heard in just under 3 million. The networks reduced ad sale charges for a sixth consecutive year, hoping to offset TV's broadening market share. It didn't work. For the first time in 16 years, revenue fell. The only category to see an increase in sales was local advertising, and even that rose less than 1%. Shows canceled in the first half of 1954 included The Quiz Kids, Dr. Christian, Front Page Farrell, Bulldog Drummond, Rocky Fortune, Ozzie and Harriet, and The Six Shooter. West Coast actors like Herb Vigran and Herb Ellis were moving into TV, but television was already going through budgetary changes. I also think you have to remember the early days of television were half-hour cowboy or sitcom. So if you had, let's say, 30 half-hours of shows, let's say five shows in one night, seven days a week, it's 35 shows, okay? Ultimately, they started the live Playhouse 90s, and so they found the hour format. And so we're talking about now actors and craft, guild people, where they used to be all of these different crews working on all these half-hour shows. All of a sudden, one whole crew and one whole bunch of actors cut disappeared, in cut in half. And then ultimately, hour and a half. And then huge sales of motion pictures to television, and you cut those hour and a halves by Boku, and you had nothing. From 1959 
1966 or 7 or 8, there was a tremendous unemployment. I remember sitting at the Brown Derby with McDonald Carey. We had done a Jason, and uh, Ricardo Montalban came by and sat down. And they were talking about how they were being asked to take a cut. This is about 1952 or 3 that they were being asked to take a cut. The producers had already started to cut down on the wage scale. And the scale that Ricardo Montalban was being asked to work for was a scale that I had finally worked myself up to. And I said, holy cow, if, he's, if McDonald Carey and Ricardo Montalban are going to be asked to work for that kind of money, where do I have to go back to the $65 a day well, minimum? And it, boy, it happened. They just went right down the toilet. What I mean, happened is that they used to call these little bits that we played, like uh, that went for a day or two or were two, three, four pages, they called them cameos and they'd give them to a star. Radio's top show, People Are Funny, had a rating of 8.4. Along with oncoming transistor sets, nearly 30 million cars now had radios, but there was still no system to measure this audience. The next year it was estimated out-of-home listening added an additional 40% to at-home audiences. People Are Funny's actual rating was closer to a 12. But these incidentals didn't matter to the industry's character actors. Network production habits were changing. More and more documentaries and news were airing from New York. More and more drama was airing from Los Angeles. And they'd give the star like a top salary of uh, $1,000. $1,000. And you know, we finally worked our way up to Two, three, yeah. four, five hundred dollars a yeah. day. You know, how many days do you work? You don't so work they could that put many. the star's name on the marquee. There's one other thing to answer your question, too. As I said, I was so busy when television started. But suddenly, there was so much television going on out here that the actors in New York started swarming oh. out here. Well, now, okay. when the actors swarmed out here, the directors followed. And when all the directors came out here, they started using the New York actors had been... Their friends that they were familiar and with the, and comfortable And the guys with. who had been doing a lot of television, like me, suddenly, it ain't there anymore. Well, it was a very dry period That's that right. Herb's talking about. Very dry. It was tough. Yeah. I was lucky to have found cocaine and marijuana, and I was... <laughs> That summer, NBC shifted the production of Barry Craig to Hollywood. 